you sprung that upon us, G. I have this nightmare that I'm going to forget one time and we'll get all the way to the end of an episode and I'll be like, oh, shit. And it will be our best episode ever. Like, it'll be just inspired. I've got that awful song from the start of The Wicker Man in my head. It's really annoying. Awful song? I love it so much. Something, something, Bonnie. That one. Should we do a podcast now? I guess we probably should. Okay. Nah. You're good. Hail and welcome to Circle Talk, a podcast for seekers, initiates, and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless different opinions. We are your hosts. Hi, I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader from the New England area of the US. Hi, I'm Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. And I'm Josie, a high priestess and coven leader near Melbourne, Australia. And we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore differing opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens around the globe. Listeners are reminded, and if you've listened before, you would know this part, that while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which is an almost impossible thing to do. This is our 28th episode, so welcome aboard. If this is your first, you might want to take a minute to pause this and go back to listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, introductions, and episode one, definitions, or check them out after you enjoy this one. So today we're talking about Wicca as a living tradition, and I'm going to start with a quote from The Witch's Way by Janet and Stuart Farrow. The time always produces the thinkers necessary for its consummation. And it may be that Gardner, when he pushed the craft into the daylight, was, in his own way, arriving as punctually on the evolutionary scene as Freud, Jung, Copernicus and Einstein did in theirs. We are not suggesting a crusade. Religious crusades tend to acquire a momentum of their own which distorts their nature and destroys their original intent. The nature of Wicca is that of small group, autonomous flexibility and the development of individual psyches by cooperation among friends. May it always remain so. But Wicca and its covens exist in a real and changing world. What we are suggesting is that witches should persistently expand the consciousness of that changing world and their role in it. And remember always that the function of the tradition is to provide nourishing roots, not to impose blinkers or shackles. The craft has come a long way. And it still has a long and exciting way to go. So, with that as a tone setter, high five, up on the broom, and let's go, witches. We're talking about Wicca as a living tradition today. The Wicca that the four of us practice does not look exactly like Wicca that was practiced 10 years ago. And that doesn't look a lot like, and that didn't look a lot like the Wicca practiced 20, 30, or 40 years ago. While there are some things that remain changeless, we live in a changing world and our craft has changed with it. So my first point is just some dots, guys. <clears throat> I think it's important to point out as well that even though the Wicca that we practice now is slightly different to the Wicca practice 10, 20, 30 years ago, the Wicca between ourselves, between the four of us, is also slightly different because the way that Wicca is developed into different or two distinct uh, traditions but then those two distinct traditions have their own lines and lineages and branches so we all practice in slightly different ways but we're all still practicing wicca and if that's not kind of a new living definition of what something is or what a tradition should aspire to then i don't know what it's because were we all practicing the same wicca it would be very boring 
And were we practicing the same wicker that Gardner kind of established or brought to the public domain? Um, that would also be very boring, I think, because we need to move with the times. And I know that we've said that quite often in previous podcasts as well. I think what I find really empowering too is that you couldn't point to one of the four of us and go, well, that's the most Wiccan of the four Wiccans there. If it weren't for the internet, we wouldn't really know what other people were doing anyway. And it's that small group autonomy that even the pharaohs were writing about that makes Wicca so, I guess, healthy and such a healthy thing to practice. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. I think my understanding is that historically when covens would gather there was an expectation that you would in fact not ask about coven practices, right? Because you didn't, I'm not sure if we just didn't want to highlight the differences or because people were autonomous. So it was like their own business, what they did, or if people really didn't want to notice that there were in fact differences evolving. But I do think that since the evolution of the internet, what's happened is people are sharing a lot more, just quite naturally. And the inevitable result of that is that a lot of us are like, oh, that's interesting that you're doing things differently, like, or that you're doing this additional thing. Tell me more. And other people have instead taken the tack that like, whoa, you're doing things differently. That must be wrong. And I do think it's like, it's important to highlight that it might be a slightly different list, but more or less, we will all be able to agree that there's a core piece right that tends that's carried through so when we're when we're saying like oh there's differences in the way we practice if we all sat in a room and said the ritual all at the same time together it would more or less line up but there are small differences and additions and pronunciations and things that have come along right and so like that is what makes it so vibrant well yeah it's and it's it's a tradition there's it's a collection of family recipes that are shared amongst us that we kind of follow, but there's no, there's no dogma. There's no hard set. You must do this as much as we, as a group of witches, talk about uh, core material or what's in the boss the book of shadows, um, etc. The book of shadows is not scripture. We don't approach it in the same way as the religions of the book, who uphold it as the true and the only holy way of their god um that's that's not it that's not what we do so it's going to shift and flux and change and it does so with every other change the group experiences new people people leaving changes in ideas personalities oh we shifted to a new covenstead or um as i experienced every single time i moved across the country being in the military you know, suddenly the land is screaming something totally different in the new place. That all has an impact. And if it doesn't, you're not paying attention to your witchcraft. And Wicca is also a product of the people doing it too. The people that you work magic with are going to flavor your magic. It's kind of, you can't stop that. <laughs> to to James's point, even something is like to the moving to different places, even something as small as that has sometimes changed like where our main altar is kept because in some rooms it makes sense to keep it in the north in some rooms it's kept made more sense to put it in the east in some rooms it's made more sense to keep it in the center like it's because i've moved apartments every couple of years it's really changed like if i've got a closet in the north then i can't really put a, a table in front of a closet right like that's just not going to work and so I've really had to make some changes based on where I am. 
about how I set up my altar spaces. Or hear me out. Table in front of the altar. Enclave of shrine behind it. You gotta go totally over the top with this. That is a perfectly great option. Um, <laughs> I know, people. But this is I one of those things, right? And then what happened, what ends up happening is like, really, somebody put their somebody put their altar in the east because they had closet doors in the north and their downline, not realizing that, goes off and says the altar always has to be in the east and this becomes law, right? Like that becomes the oral tradition. And this is the this is the small issue with oral traditions is that people pick up observations and don't always think about where they came from. Sorry, Peter. I sometimes wonder whether it's the practices that make us Wiccan or it's the words or it's a combination because I think I think there's definitely a power in knowing that, for example, my circle casting is very similar to another Wiccan's circle casting. But is it the fact that we're both cast in a circle that kind of makes us also Wiccan? Or do the words have some sort of additional power, power air quotes behind them as well? And and I think for me, I think they do. I think, yes, the fact that we all possibly could cast a circle and use very similar wording. For me, there lies power in that as well. So I don't necessarily disagree that it's not about um, using the same practices and using the same words, but I think from a personal level, if I was to, sorry, not if I was to, but when I am to visit all of your covens sometime soon in the near future, hopefully, when you all say circle casting, it's probably going to be very, very similar to the way I cast circle. And I think there is a power in that. I think there is a, there's a beauty in that. So even though we talk about Wicca being a living tradition, I think, I think more often than not, we talk about what is different in social norms now compared to maybe what it was previously. I think when I think about Wicca as a living tradition, I, I, I think about that more than, you know, have the words changed or, have the practices changed and spoiler alert yes they have i'd agree with that and i think something that i do see happen a little bit especially in online spaces is that sometimes people can sort of fixate on the history side of things um i'm thinking especially of some of those kind of glamour shots of of some of the early witches in the 70s and some of those figures and i think we owe a lot to early witches and the work that they did and we wouldn't be here without them but I think there's also been quite a large amount of Wicca happen since then and I think to get too bogged down in ephemera um, is missing the point and you got to get rid of so much like there's 50 years of history of coven to coven passing innovated material that has been worked and built on you know, down to us today, and you got to be like, oh, well, well, time to scrap all this and do things like they did in 1974. Really? I got to get rid of everything between me and them? You know, all those people who placed their hands on the tradition and got their fingerprints all over it before they handed it to me, I'm just going to scrub that off? I know we're obsessed with the Brasso, but sometimes you got to let it just be a bit dirty. Well, there's always been this this obsession with things being historical. Right. And I think people find comfort in being able to point back maybe to old photographs of their elders doing this and be like, see, like it's been 
I mean, I don't know what kind of a brag it is to be like, it's been around since the 50s and 60s, but like, see, here are elders from the 50s and 60s and they're beautiful and and they're wonderful and they are, right? That's that's great. But like, um, and it is interesting to see historical photos, although, you know, we also know a goodly number of historical photos are staged. We're staged for publicity. We're staged for um documentaries and for news articles right especially alexandrians alex was a showman and so i do think like that adds a certain amount of questioning to like anybody who hyper focuses on like well what was in that picture and like what were they doing and should we be doing um you know things just so but i think that this idea like of reaching back and doing things historically like for i mean historically to like to the 40s to the 50s like we're not we have to give up on this notion that we're practicing some unchanged craft from, you know, the dawn of time and that that somehow is what makes it legitimate or not legitimate. So I think part of what makes that worse is there is the cultural changes you know, that we, we were talking about a moment ago, especially Peter, um, and that fixation on periods of the past. Um, it's, it's within religion when this is done almost overboard and it becomes a hyper fixation um it's a reaction to cultural change it's it's how fundamentalism uh, begins to develop because they have to look at some specific time period and that time period changes depending on your fundamentalism um but you have to fixate on it and it has to become the ideal golden age you know it's but it's not true it's it's a false narrative and so they have to cherry pick the historical significance of that and be like, oh, what they did was more real because of this, this, and this, but they don't talk about the rest of it. It's like when you look at parts of U.S. history coming out of World War II, yes, there was lots of economic growth and it was great, but there was also lots and lots of social issues going on in the country at the same time. And I'm sure everyone can look at all that uh, in your own local I think it's easy to forget too that like apart from with with the exception maybe of Gardner and Sanders these people weren't setting themselves up to be figures of any kind and certainly not as as leaders and elders and I think we need to remember that that all of these people were human and putting them up on pedestals or putting indeed any elder up on a pedestal is not going to give us the whole picture and it's not always going to be helpful. Um, And also often the people who are glamorising this time period or or people and figures from this time period are the same people who will turn around and sort of poo-poo these like aesthetic quote-unquote witches on Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Um, But it's kind of like, guys, you're doing the same thing. It's a bit older. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's problematic. You're all putting eyeliner on. <laughs> and eyeliner's fine. Just don't poo on people who other people who are doing it. Like that. It's just a holier than thou piece, right? It's just that piece that that's unnecessary and kind of concerning. Um, really doesn't feel like it fits in with what's important for me and what I do. I, I think that if if you're going into Wicca because you want to dress a certain way or you want to look a certain way. That is your prerogative. There is nothing wrong with that. And if you are still practicing Wicca, BTW Wicca, from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, that's also fine. You know, that's that's cool. 
that's not where I'm going with my Wicca. You know, I think I'm 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 trying to think of you know how other people look at us as well as Wiccans and as witches. I think we've sort of moved away from we look as if we're dripping in pentacles and we're wearing all black and et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. And I think, you know, we are for the majority of it accepted by the wider populace. I'm not saying that those people who get into Wicca and witchcraft for the aesthetics are doing us a disservice is the wrong word, but I think looking normal and looking accepted, I think is where I'm trying to push like, my image of Wicca and witchcraft because there are people out there that you would not look at and think, oh yeah, they're witches. And there are people out there and you would stereotypically look at them and think, oh yeah, they're wearing all black and they're, you know, head to toe in pentacles. So they must be witches kind of thing. And in actual fact, no one knows unless somebody comes up to you and says, I am a witch and I am a, a Wiccan and I am initiated. You wouldn't know, you know, so if you get into Wicca for that reason, that's, that's fine. You know, you, you can do you. It's not necessarily somewhere where I would take my wicker. I'm going to get off the pedestal now as well. I think sort of related to this fixation on like the glamour of the what people looked like in the 70s or these, these altar shots from the 80s or whatever, I think what's important to remember is that the history is not the tradition itself. It's not what's being worked. And I think in a in a tradition like this that does have a lot of history and a lot of uh, like paperwork attached to it, I guess, for want of a better word, like a paper trail, people can get very caught up and bogged down in amassing sort of history and arguing over about like really nuanced little things like, oh, what did Alistair Crowley say to his postman on the 7th of March in 1930? Like, yeah, this isn't Wicca. It's interesting, but it's not Wicca and it shouldn't, to take away from actually doing the thing. Do we I'm have that my... answer somewhere? Because I'm interested <laughs> in that piece of knowledge. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's me. It's me that's doing all this, isn't it, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is just, I'm always having a passive-aggressive go at you. <laughs> so as a as a religion nerd, I, I enjoy some of that. Like, I'll read or look at two different translations of the same material and go, oh, this is the modern one, a modern translation, so that I can see what the original writer uh, probably meant better going into our current tongue. But then I'll look at the other one and go, but this is the material our earlier practitioners were reading, so I can better see how it formulated on them. But that's not because I do this, because I'm trying to shift or alter the craft to be more authentic to that time period. Or anything like that. I do it because I'm a religion nerd who just enjoys getting off on that stuff, and that's cool. Um, it has no his, it has no relevance to what we're actually doing in the circle, or when I sit down and teach people how to do practice. They don't need to know that stuff. And so they're like, "Hey, which translation should they get?" Yeah, that one. They're they're yeah. both good. Yeah, absolutely. It's. It's super interesting to geek out over those things and be like, hey, I wonder when this particular part of of our ritual was added or changed and those sorts of things. But I think they need to be like an aside and not something that you need to worry about, especially early on in your craft journey. I think it's easy to get bogged down and overwhelmed and distracted by those things. And really, it's much more fun to just jump in 
and do the thing. A hundred percent, especially early on. You need to be learning the craft and not trying to dig into all the different nuances of every different perspective anyone who's ever practiced has ever had. No, that's too much. And there could be a possibility that what we're actually practicing and what's been passed down to us is is not 100% what the early establishers of Wicca also practiced as well. You know, there's probably lots and lots of stuff that they practiced as individual covens that they didn't necessarily pass on to their new initiates. So when we talk about, you know, I am practicing the Wicca that Gardner practiced or I am practicing the Wicca that uh, Sanders practiced, you know, we possibly don't know 100% the full picture. So therefore, how can one person or one coven or, or, or a group of covens say for definite, yes, this is an exact carbon copy of what ex-elder or ex-practitioner from the whenevers was practicing? Because I don't think that we can have a 100% carbon copy of what early Wiccan practitioners were doing. Because even if one thing is left out or one thing is changed, then it's different from the original. And we know that there have been developments within modern Wicca, as in like the Wicca that we practice now in 2023, for example, there have been developments, there have been changes, not just from a ritual perspective, but from, you know, from a from a social normals perspective as well. You know, there's everything that goes behind that. So, yeah, full stop. But it's, even that's part of our, our heritage. You know what early practitioners are saying? Hold my beer and going into ritual and making some shit up. And some of that shit was extremely different from the stuff that they were past. That's part of how Alexandrians became Alexandrian is we're going to go over here and play. I believe it was Alex Sanders who said, hey, watch this. (laughs) The person who is complaining about the thing being done shouldn't complain when somebody starts doing it. Now, I know that's a paraphrase of, of a quote because I can never remember the full actual quote, but... You know, if somebody's doing it, whatever it is, and it is part of BTW, an initiatory wicker, who am I to then turn around and say, nope, stop, you can't do that. I'm not going to. Yeah. Like if you have your coven all wearing blue party hats at a certain Sabbath, and I don't like that, then I told I can you not just... to mention the blue party hats, Josie. <laughs> oh, fuck, is that oathbound? So I told you that in confidence. <laughs> But I could change the colour of the party hat. I could get rid of the party hat altogether. I could change it to cowboy hats. It's a living tradition, right? I think authenticity and authentic are very dangerous words in these spaces. And it comes back to that quote we had at the start about religious crusades. People can get weird very quickly. Or the word more pure or better training. Those those are fundamentalist catchwords that are just used to other a group to go, you're not as authentic of a witch and you don't do things as we did in the golden age because you do things slightly different within the parameters of the tradition. It makes no sense. And as much as people are like, oh, no, I'm just trying to say that they're, they've been taught better. You're still saying the same thing. There's so the training thing is a really interesting one because there's so much under the sun and there's so many different kinds of covens under the sun, right? There are covens that really focus on hermetics. There are covens that really focus on divination. There are covens that really focus on um, 
crafting one's own incense, one's own oils. There are covens that really focus on. I mean, and if you wanted to spend all of your time teaching the Book of Shadows and and all of these different things to your coven, it's going to take a really long time for people to progress through the degrees, right? Because there's so many things under the sun to teach. And I was speaking to an elder of my line about, I was like, I just don't know like when I'm going to get around to teaching them everything, teaching like my new, my new initiates, everything. And she was like, you don't have to teach them everything. She's like, you have to teach, like, you just need to decide what's important. And I was like, oh, okay. Because there's so much stuff, right? And there's also so much stuff that people can go off and learn on. I'm like, I'm not teaching rocks and crystals. It's just not my jam. Uh, it's not important for what I personally do. Um, but I do have two coven members who are very into making crystal grids. I don't understand what that means or is about. It's not necessarily part of our tradition. But I also know that there are covens out there who probably include that kind of thing as really important in their training. And so like what's good training is going to be really different based on the group and their interests and their line and like how close they decide to keep things to the book or, how, you know, what kind of skills they decide to emphasize. And how many of our elders, I'm talking about early elders, had a weekend bash and came out with all three degrees? How, how, how great was that training? Really? I think we're back at covens being adaptive and adapting to the needs of their people. Before I move on, or before we move on, can I just take a minute? If you are a coven out there that is practicing in cowboy hats, as Josie mentioned just now, I want to hear from you. Please get in touch. I love that I mentioned this like 10 minutes ago and you've sat there that whole time. Just imagining it. I've held on to that. What if I did do my Wicca in cowboy hats? Yeah. What if, I mean, that would definitely add a flavor. I mean... Instead of, I, like, I would bake Tex-Mex products for cakes and wine. I would make sure that I had all the chili and everything. Like, that would definitely be part of my circle then. Because, you know, cowboys, they, they eat that kind of food, right? I mean, I'm not a cowboy, so I wouldn't know, you know. It's very but I'm short sure on do. cowboys in, in the United Kingdom over there. I, I really... Wales, thin on, cowboys are thin on the ground in Wales. I really need there to be a Welsh coven of witches who fixate on pop culture's image of cowboys but they cosplay hey, cowboys I, I need this to happen you're looking here. at it you're looking at it right now this is this is what i'm gonna carry on with this is where i'm going i did have a serious point but i have forgotten it in amongst all the cowboy hat talk i can't remember what it was that we were even talking about before that because now all i have is coven cowboy autonomy coven cowboy autonomy hats. coven autonomy yeah. which like, does so my so my serious point is that as a practitioner of BTW and as a coven, we we quite like to include like lots of layers. And when I say layers, I mean actually using crystals and using herbs and using different types of magics when we're working witchcraft. We won't necessarily always incorporate that into our regular like building of the temple work and, and opening the circle. But when um when we're working witchcraft, we do like to have different layers because, you know, especially if we've got new initiates there that not necessarily expecting that to be there, but if they have a passing interest, then it can almost be a teachable moment as well. You know, it's like, I, I'm sure we've had this discussion in the past, when, at what point does Wicca stop becoming Wicca if we add all of these like extras 
kind of thing. You know, there are there are books out there written by um, lots of different initiates that will say, you know, you can incorporate this into your practice. You can incorporate this healing method or you can incorporate, you know, singing bowls or crystal grids or the chakras. You know, when does Wicca stop becoming Wicca? And I think Wicca stops becoming Wicca when you stop practicing Wicca. You know, I suppose it doesn't matter if you add on all these additional extras because the core of what you're doing, that like golden thread, is still going to remain and you're still practicing Wicca as well. I don't love a slippery slope argument, but I do feel like the slippery slope argument that goes with if we add on, like when do we add on enough stuff that it stops being Wicca, the, the only place to go from that is going to be so you can only do things as are written and that's it. Right. And because everybody's going to have a different line for like what. So I, I, and I'm, you know, would agree. Like it's, you can't argue about what, how the quantity of additions that then, I don't know, dilute the practice or whatever. Ultimately, they're, they're, you know, core pieces that need to be maintained. And there may be like some small discrepancies in that list for people, which I've mentioned before, but it more or less, I think that list would be the same for most people. Um, and in fact, I'll say the list because it came up in, in a public chat recently. So I feel comfortable saying it, um, which is the lineage back to Alex or Gardner, I suppose, uh, having the book and being initiated according to the ritual. Or at least having like fundamental pieces of the initiation. And that's a separate conversation, right? Um, and aside from that, covens are fully autonomous. And that is like the most important thing I think to maintain in the tradition is maintaining coven autonomy. Because otherwise we will eat ourselves from the inside. If we don't, we don't have a, an overarching umbrella of elders who are looking down on us and deciding what we're doing is okay or not okay. And we shouldn't. Right. Maybe your coven has some elders or maybe like your line does, but that's that's your family business. But the whole tradition as a whole just can't um, and shouldn't. Right. Witches practice in many ways as little islands unto themselves and should be left to do that. Well, we're yeah. all our own priest or priestess. Yeah, we, yeah. we don't need someone between us and the gods. And the same goes when you start looking at you know the practices. You know, I'm of the perspective that if I take a what should be a very simple um, practice well I could expand something that would normally take me two minutes and turn it into a 45 minute to an hour long ritual um, and it still be the same thing it's just expanded and elaborated on and played with but at the same time I could pare it right back down and do it in two minutes and call it a day but it doesn't make them eat any less of the Wicca sorry Jim. yeah no, you're fine. We did a whole episode on this, our, our No Kings, No Masters episode. Alex Sanders did often refer to himself as the King of the Witches. Nobody has since. Um, in her, I think it's Judy Harrow in her Wicker Covens book, wrote, the goddess doesn't have grandchildren. We are all children of the goddess and that's that. And, and we are all doing our own thing and that's why coven autonomy is so important. I think, yeah, we really would eat ourselves, Jay, you're right. I mean, in some, and in some ways we are, right? In some, in some places and for some people that does happen or that is happening. And I think, you know, it's really important that as many of us who are interested in, in, you know, 
preserving some core, but also acknowledging the evolution and the beauty in practices of individual covens speak with each other and speak openly about it so that we don't allow fundamentalists to take over or to decide as a very, 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 very small percentage of covens what Alexandrian Wicca is supposed to be and like control the narrative. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm just thinking about this protecting the tradition. We've sort of talked about this previously. Do we have more to add on this? I have a little bit I just thought about. Okay. Um, we, we talk about tradition. And when we talk about that, it's an abstraction. It's an idea. Trying to, to label a, a group of people and what they do as a tradition becomes a very hard thing to do because it's not a place. It's not a thing. It's just none of those. We're just a, a loose collection of recipes that kind of resemble each other. So trying to say I'm protecting the tradition, really? You're, you're, you're protecting an abstraction that we can't really define to begin with? From what? And so from, from change? Okay. But that means now we have to hard, concrete, define the thing to begin with, which now means you have to dictate to all these autonomous witches across the board exactly what that thing is to include many elders who aren't doing the same thing to begin with that's that's an impossible thing to do i think in many ways if a tradition needs protecting then that tradition probably deserves to be like if a, if a tradition has something that's worth making it continue it will protect itself does that make sense people will pass it because it's worthwhile and worthy and it works and it's good and so therefore the tradition protects itself because people keep it going when a tradition has fallen complete like out of out of relevancy or has stopped working or has become tainted in some way um or has you know sort of is clinging to old ideals um i think that's when traditions tend to get very um, dangerous about clinging to life, right? And I think that we can see this in sects of Christianity, for example, right now, where people are becoming super fundamentalist about like establishing like Christo-fascist governments because there are aspects of Christianity that are, not Christianity isn't dying out, but their fundamentalist perspectives of Christianity are because we're aging away from them, right? Like we're progressing past some of these ideas of like child marriage and, you know, not allowing people to be autonomous of themselves and and so on and so on. And so as a result, people are fighting tooth and nail. A minority of people are fighting tooth and nail to establish traditionalist governments and laws, right? So that they can keep it going. I think if a tradition is able to stay relevant, is able to be, is worthwhile for people, then the tradition keeps itself going and people keep flocking to it and it perpetuates through the passing of the lineage and the practices and the downline. And piggybacking off of that, if the tradition keeps itself alive, it's only through those people practicing. So in a lot of ways, the tradition isn't much more than the people practicing it. I mean, it's a lot more ephemeral sort of things. It's a lot more kind of ethereal sort of things as well. But really, when you come down to it, what keeps it alive uh, is who's practicing it or not practicing it. I think you're absolutely right. That's 100% it. Um Sometimes I get irked when someone who hasn't practiced the tradition in 15, 20 years speaks up and starts to say, well, this is how it is. Maybe that's the way it was, but 
I practice today, and you haven't touched it, so great. But I'm not sure that that's very relevant anymore. This is what Alex did. This is what Alex did. Okay, and I we should absolutely look to Alex as the founder of our line. But, like, Alex also, like... Set his junk on fire in a ritual that you can YouTube? Yes, but that wasn't on purpose, I don't think. I don't think it was on purpose. But, like, staged initiations for public consumption, right? Which nowadays we would be like, whoa, maybe don't do that. Um, You know, so there's... I mean, we can't pick... We shouldn't cherry pick what is important that our elders did also is the other piece. Yeah, our elders were human and for the most part they were making it up as they went along slash going, oh gosh, <laughs> I didn't mean to be an elder. Um, but the best elders I know didn't get into Wicca to become elders, right? I think that's worth remembering as well. We don't have good guys and bad guys in our history. Not Not really. I don't think humans are that simple. I want to take a moment and go back to talking about covenant autonomy and the fact that, you know, as society is progressing and I, and I don't want to speak as if this is like globally an issue, but in the U S right, we're having a lot of issues right now with the acceptance of transgender individuals and anti-trans legislation and anti-gay legislation. And, you know, Wicca historically has not always been at the at the forefront of progress in terms of accepting GLBTQIA people. And I do think that this is one place where covens coven autonomy can play a role in sort of evolving the the tradition forward in some ways, right? So the more covens that you have who accepted gay people, initiated them, and were like, look, these are perfectly fine priests and priestesses, who are gay and has actually no bearing on their ability to pass forward this quote unquote fertility tradition. Right. And that makes it more accepted. And the more covens who initiate transgender individuals or non-binary individuals who are perfectly fine priests and priestesses and say, look, they're transgender and they're non-binary, but they have a downline. They're passing the tradition. They're doing it the way that we've done it. Like they can carry the energy. They do the ritual and it works the more common it becomes. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people about like, what would you do if you had a non-binary person come who needed initiation? As people know, traditionally, we do cross-gender initiations. And people, coven leaders are not automatically like, oh gosh, I would never. They're almost inevitably like, oh gosh, I've never thought about it. What are your thoughts? Let's talk about how would we address and deal with that, right? But if people don't start practicing it and trying things and talking to other coven leaders about what has worked and and what has worked for the initiate and what has worked for the coven and that it did work and it did pass, then we're never going to be able to learn how to evolve with the times, right? And I do think evolving with the times is important for what we just said about traditions needing to keep themselves going. Um, And so I do think some of those autonomous evolutions and then open conversations with other leaders are part of moving that progress bar. Right. And what progress looks like in one part of the globe might be very different in another part. Covens in Brazil don't look like the coven in South Africa, don't look like the ones in Europe, you know, so on and so forth. Legitimately so, but what their local cultural dialogue is and what the play on that against the practice coven work is very different really it's the coven autonomy that has gotten us this far i would argue 
the other thing that came out of those early witches, especially some of the ones that were in the media spotlight, were very large and very public or or somewhat public blow-ups. And if people didn't have the right and the ability um, and, the yeah, just the ability to go off and do their own thing and run things in their own way, I think quite a few things would have fizzled out early on. I think in many ways this is why very cleverly hiving is a thing, right, and why gardeners sort of put hiving in as a thing because it's true that at some point, you know, when little first degree initiates grow up to be second and third degree initiates, they have their own ideas and their own wants of doing things and their own way of leading things. And so, you know, it's a very natural process that people, quote unquote, grow up and hive and do things their own way. And absolutely, if you have too many experience, I mean, this isn't this isn't totally true. You can have covens full of elders who who work wonderfully together, right? But I do think in a training coven, if you once you have too many elders, it's very natural for that sort of hiving to happen because it gets crowded. And so I think it was clever of of Gardner or whoever to sort of have that system in place um, to sort of prevent too much infighting and implosions, ideally. Um, and even witch wars, I, I mean, we still have that problem, right? But coven autonomy ideally should have prevented witch wars because it should just be enough to be like, that's your coven, that's your business. But I think therein lies the problem as well, is when people start saying, that might be your coven, but you're doing it wrong. Or that might be your coven, and it doesn't look anything like how we practice. And we know we're not wrong, so therefore you must be wrong. When in actual fact, you're either both probably wrong or you're either both probably right because we're all practicing Wicca, you know? It's it's the party hat thing. It's like blue party hats, not for me, versus blue party hats, fuck you, not Wiccan. And in that way, certainly the media has changed a lot and the platforms have changed a lot for Witch Wars, but they are essentially still happening because of the same reason still after all this. I also think that, yes, that's your coven, but it doesn't look anything like what I'm doing is often really hyperbolic, right? Often what this comes down to is like, you're wearing blue party hats and we're wearing cowboy hats. And actually the important point is everybody's got a hat, but instead you're hyper-focusing on the type of hat and being like, that looks nothing like what we do. Like, actually it's quite similar. We've both got our heads covered. We have our heads covered for the same reasons, right? It's cold in temple, whatever. It's never cold in temple. It's always really hot in temple. But that's the kind of thing that people are like, they look nothing like what we're doing. They're totally different. They're out of line. And it's like, actually, like, it's all really similar. Like, it's all super, like you are quibbling over very small details. And you've just become so tied to like, your way is the right way that you can't let up. Oh, my gosh, James, I had the same idea just now. Sorry, I'm just seeing that. <laughs> I only we should just also saw keep the this, chat too. We should keep this bit in, and we should ask our listeners to be like, "Guess what? We're, guess what we're talking about in the chat?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that just about brings us to the end of this episode. So today we've spoken about Wicca as a living tradition and why it's important that we stay relevant to the people practicing Wicca. History is well and good and very interesting, and very special, but it is not the tradition itself. As a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Circle Talk for Witches. That's four as in the number, 
Twitter as Circle4Witches or email us at circletalk4witches at gmail.com. If you have any questions, queries, thoughts or ideas for future discussions, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. From all of us at Circle Talk, merry meet, merry parts and merry meet again.